0: Thank you for joining us. This is Salt and Light Baptist Church and I am Pastor Justin Walker. We're glad to have you here today. We're going through the book of Genesis. It's a book of foundations. Not only the foundations of God's Word, but the foundations of the entire world in which we live. And we see Genesis divided into two major sections. The first is in the first 11 chapters. It's the creation of the world. It's the fall of man. It's the global flood of Noah. It's the dispersion where men are scattered abroad across the earth. And then the Bible will zoom in in chapters 12 through 50, the Bible zooms in the stories into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And so grab a Bible and come along with us today as we continue our study through Genesis. Grab a Bible. Am I on here? I think I am. Grab a Bible. Turn it open to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. And uh, we're going to have a little mini-series inside of our sermon series. Our sermon series is through Genesis, right? You guys you probably picking that up by now. Most of you know that we go straight through. We like to pick a book of the Bible and go all the way through that book uh, because that's the best way to learn. And so inside of that, today we have the longest, we start the longest chapter in Genesis. Over 60 verses here in Genesis in chapter 24. And so we're going to make this a little mini-series uh, about evangelism. Every year at fall time, I try to take some time to teach on evangelism and the importance of evangelism and how to evangelize. And if you don't know what that word means, then stick with us and you will soon enough. Um, And so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. We'll have four weeks in this little mini-series about how to ask someone to marry the Lamb. And so um, when I was 16 years old, before I was 16, when I was a little kid, uh, you would not know this by talking to me now. If you've known me in the past 15 years... You thought that I was just this extrovert of a person. And I I am now. But before that, I was super shy. Like, hide behind the legs of my mom at the grocery store so the cashier wouldn't talk to me type of shy. And I was petrified. It's okay to think this is stupid because it was. I was petrified of using the telephone. I'm telling, like... Anxiety out the wall. If my mom said, call somebody, I would come up with every excuse. I would pester her with questions to get her to just call them so she wouldn't make me do it. I didn't want to answer the phone. They thought, my dad... Uh, he bought from Bell South. This will show a little bit of my age. My dad bought a caller ID. This was a big deal. Remember before your phone had it and there was a little box that you could plug in between? My dad couldn't get it right. He always called it the ID caller, but it's the, it's the <laughs> caller ID. And, uh, and he bought one of those and, they, and then they would say, Justin, you know who it is. I still don't want to pick it up. I hated answering the phone. I hated using the phone. I was just scared of It, it just made me anxious. And then I met this pretty girl. And she got a job at Domino's. Domino's Pizza there in Crestwood. And she said, I could get you a job. That's her voice. That's a good one. I said... She said, I can get you a job. And I said, you can get me a job at Domino's. And I thought, this would be great. I'll get to make money. I'll get to work beside my new girlfriend. I was all excited. And so I went and got an interview and they hired me. And then I went in for first day and she already had the job. She was already there. I went in for the first day and they gave me this blue shirt with a red collar. And they said, go put your shirt on and then we'll show you what to do. And I said, okay. And I went and put my shirt on I came out. And there's this guy, this is before you could order online. There's this guy standing at a computer and he says, this will be your phone and this will be your station. And I went, uh, I'm telling you, I was 16 years old, still scared to use the phone. And this guy says, this will be your station. And I said, "Uh, uh, I thought I was going to make pizzas. And the guy's like, "Mm, not if you want to keep your job. You're not 18. You You can't put them in the oven. You can't use the cutter. That was their rule. You couldn't use the cutter or put them in the oven if you aren't 18 years old. He's like, if you want a job here, this is your spot. Now, I know that when I tell you that, you should think to yourself, because it was, that's pretty ridiculous. And you know what broke me of my fear of using the phone? Answering the stupid phone at Domino's Pizza. I would stand there every night and answer the phone and take people's orders. And if something was wrong, I had to call them and say, hey, your order's a little late, or you know, we had to do this or something. And, and so that really broke me. And it seems really, really ridiculous, right? Well, if you listen to Barna Group, even today, they they've rehashed a 25-year-old study, and still to this day, the majority of Christians do not share their faith. Like, when I say the majority of Christians, I'm talking about like t- less than 20% of Christians have shared their faith in the past two years. Two years. And the number one reason that people don't share their faith is because they're intimidated by it. They're scared of it. And I know like the church answer, right? We're, you're in church right now, and you're supposed to be, we're not scared of that, but but sometimes we are. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk to start about sharing your faith. We're going to read the first nine verses. We'll be in Genesis 24, and we'll be in those first nine verses. Did I give you enough time to find it? Well, I hope so. Goodness, that was a week. Amen. For all this worship we've been doing. Uh, let's try one more time. Maybe you can maybe you'll get into it this time. You ready? Do you have Genesis 24? Amen. There we go. That's a little better. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land must i take your son back to the land from which you came but abraham said to him beware that you do not take my son back there the lord god of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants i give this land he will bless uh, excuse me he will send his angel before you and he, and you shall take a wife for my son from there and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him about this. Heavenly Father, we turn to you. We thank you so much, first of all. Can we just say thank you, God, that you've let us be here today? Lord, thank you that you've invited us into your house. Thank you that we could be here and and be comfortable around you. Father, what a blessing to be around you, the magnificent God of this heaven and earth. And and that you would invite us into your presence and that we could could speak with you. That we could sing to you and that we could worship you. We don't deserve that goodness already, so we say thank you for it. And Father, I include myself in this statement. Who are we to understand your word who am I father that I could ever understand what you would write and much less for you father to call me to teach it Lord I'm humbled at the thought so would you take over this moment father would you take over this place and would you take over your word would you take over my tongue and father would you please speak would you help us to see your word in a a new and fresh light we truly believe it's your living word but, Father, we're so finite and we're so, we, we get so stuck in what we think. Father, would you help us to see this for how you wrote it and how you meant it and what you mean for us to, to take from it? Father, help us not to imply anything that's not there. Help us to understand what you, would, what you would teach us through your word with Genesis 24. Lord, we don't just ask this, we beg it. We want to be closer to you. We want to know you through your word. So we beg you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look at this. In chapter 24 and verse 1, we see the starting of of what is pretty weird even for this time. Abraham you remember, first of all, that Abraham had, just two chapters ago, Abraham had taken his son, Isaac. His son, Isaac, was at the very least a teenager, probably even an adult. He had taken Isaac up on the mountain, and Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. Do you remember that? Just shake your head yes, make sure I'm not talking over your head. Remember that? Abraham was going to sacrifice his own son. And that was a picture, do you remember with me, that that was a picture of how God the Father gave us his only son, Jesus. You can just shake your head at that one too, right? You remember that. So Abraham took his son, Isaac, and he was going to sacrifice him. And we had a picture of what God would later do with Jesus, the son, when Jesus would come to this earth and he would die for us. And now, two chapters later, we see Abraham. He is saying to his servant, I want you, the servant of my house, to swear to me that you won't take a wife for my son, Isaac, from this land, Canaan, but you'll go back to my homeland, and you'll get me. You'll get Isaac a wife from my homeland, from Ur. Remember, he's called out of Ur, the Chaldean. So he's sending this, this. Uh, servant back to Ur. Are you with that? That's the basis of the story. And the rest of this chapter is that. It's the servant going back to Ur, going back to Abraham's homeland, and finding a wife, and trying to bring her back to Isaac. Now listen, this is a time when it's totally different, and the time in the Bible is different than what we have now. People didn't date the way they have. They certainly didn't text or Facebook or whatever. They couldn't Facebook stalk somebody. They had arranged marriages. But even in a time of arranged marriages, this is still strange. This isn't the way it would typically be done. And we'll get to that in in a little bit. We'll get to a little bit more of that. But what I want to show you today is that when we're talking about this servant going and finding a bride for Isaac, the son, just like the picture that we had when Abraham took his son up on the mountain was a picture of Christ, the picture we have today, the servant that goes and finds the bride, and some of you are going to disagree with this because I know what you think, that servant is you and I. Now, I know some of you, you you know your commentaries and you're like wait a minute but so and so says that that's the Holy Spirit, I would totally agree. But where's the Holy Spirit dwell? Come on, stick with me here. The Holy uh, the Father said the Holy Spirit would dwell within you. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter eight says if you don't have the Spirit you're none of His. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit has a, a job in this world and he he's yes he's going to convict the world of sin and of judgment and we know what the what the scriptures say about that. But what I want to show you today is that God wants you to be out in the world leading others to his son Jesus. Just like Abraham called the servant to find a bride for the son, so God has called you to find a bride for the lamb. And if you don't understand that, if you say, wait a minute, what, how, did we get, how did we get to this point where all of a sudden we're talking about a bride and a lamb? Can you just turn with me real quick before I get, get started in, in my points or whatever from Genesis 24? Would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5? Look at Ephesians 5 and look at, start in verse 22, because I just want to show you, this isn't my idea. Like I didn't come up with this idea of it being a picture that this Isaac having a a bride or finding a bride for Isaac would be like a picture of us. That's not my idea. God said this, the church and Jesus, the the church is the bride to Jesus, just like this bride that we'll see in in Genesis 24 will be a bride to Isaac. Look, it's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Did I give you enough time to find that? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ready? For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. See the two correlations there? He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let's look a little further. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And the two should become one flesh. If you're confused, Paul gets that. Look what he says next. This is a great mystery. But you want to clear it up? But I speak concerning Christ and the church. You with me? It's not my picture. I didn't make it up. God wants us... To be in a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. Do you get that? We, as the church, that's not salt and light. That's the church as a whole. That means someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who died for you. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the grave. We believe in him. We are part of the church. And now that we're part of the church, we have a job. We are supposed to go out and find a bride for the son. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing I want to show you in chapter 24, Genesis 24. Go back there. Now, Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And so, Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaan. Do you notice that the first thing that God does is he chose, or excuse me, that, that Abraham does is that he chose a servant? That is weird, even for this time. In a time of arranged marriage, is daddy talked to daddy and said, hey, we're going to arrange a marriage for our children. This would be a very strange thing, even in this time, to say, I'm going to send my servant. Not only am I going to send my servant, do you notice that Isaac is not saying anything? Isaac didn't say, well, I'd like her to have long brown hair and deep brown eyes. Olive skin would be nice. She's real good with camels. We've got plenty of them, so we'll want that. He's not giving, there's no Isaac giving a laundry list of what he wants here. We don't see anything from Isaac. It's the father talking to the servant. Abraham, the father, talks to the servant and says, You, the servant, I want to send you to go find a bride for my son. Now, you listen, I want to tell you the same thing. You don't get to get out of of witnessing, you don't get to get out of evangelizing by saying, Well, who am I? I'm just a servant, I'm a nobody. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not even a te- I don't even teach Sunday school. It's not, I can't do that. I'm not qualified for that. The Lord didn't ask you to be qualified. As a matter of fact, we, we've heard it often said that the Lord doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. Now, listen, I'm telling you, God doesn't care what position you hold in church or what position you think you hold in ministry. That's not what He's asking. He's asking that His servants would go out and find a bride for His son, and you're included in that. You don't get to get out of that by saying, Who am I? We were going on a a trip, Salton Light Baptist was going on a mission trip to Tijuana, Mexico. It was probably six or seven years ago now. And uh, there was a, a new Christian in the church. He had been saved and been baptized we i got to baptize him in the church and and uh he couldn't have been a christian 6 months 8 months and i went to him and i said hey would you like to go on this mission trip to, to tijuana they're going to go to an orphanage and share the gospel and and build some stuff for these kids and and he said oh uh i i don't know anything what what would i i don't know what i would do and i said what well, you, you do what the rest of the team's doing. You know, we'll we'll talk to you. We'll we'll help do some training, but you'll go out and you'll share the gospel and you'll build some stuff for these kids. And he said, "Yeah, but I'm I'm not qualified for that. I mean, I." He said this to me. He said, i I just I just got saved six months ago. He's like, I don't even know all of what I believe yet." And I said, "Well, I'm just telling you that the Lord wants everyone to go serve Him. So I, I am certain that the Lord would love it if you would go on this trip." Well, he agreed, and I drove him. And the rest of the group, I drove him to the, um, to the airport. And when I dropped him off at the airport, I'm telling you, he was literally trembling at the idea of going on this mission trip. Scared to death. And I prayed with him, and I gave him all hugs. And you know I'm not a hugger, so that's usually important if I give you a hug. So I gave him all hugs, and I told him you know, that, that we'd be praying for him while they were gone. And even then, he's whispering in my ear, he's like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And I said, you can do it. You can do it. The Lord will help you. He wants you to do this. They went on that mission trip to Tijuana. They came back nine days later, and I went to pick them up from the airport. And when I got there to the airport, they were all weeping. All of them, the whole group. There was four of them. They're standing there in the airport waiting for their bags, and they're weeping. And I walked up, and I said, "What? happened what ha-? are you guys okay? Did, did something happen? And they said, no, 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 it's, it's wonderful. And the young man who was so scared to go and didn't think that he was qualified, he looked at me with, tear, with tear-filled eyes. And he said, I've never felt more useful in my life. I just want to go live there. I just want to, I just want to do that all the time. Friends, listen what I'm telling you. It doesn't, you don't get to say, I'm just a servant. And not only do you not get to say, I'm a servant, let me give you another excuse that you don't get to use. Notice verse 2. So Abraham said to the oldest servant, he didn't talk to Isaac the son, he went to the servant who ruled over all that he had. All right, I'm going to give you a second one. You don't get to say, I'm too busy. You can't say, I got too much going on. There's This guy, do you understand that Abraham was extremely wealthy, right? He had a ton, and he goes to the servant. He didn't go to the servant that had the least of the task. He went to the servant that had the most task. He went to every time Abraham gets more camel, this guy's got more inventory to count. This guy's head over inventory, if you want to talk about cleaning and maintenance, this guy's the head of that. How about, how about when people were taking care of all the food supply? This guy was the head of that. He had all kinds of responsibilities, and yet Abraham went to him and said, I want you to go find a bride for my son Isaac. Listen, you don't get to say, I'm too busy. You don't, you don't understand my work's so busy. I, I'll give you a good one. I can't, I can't do that at my job. I can't say that at my job. I can't talk that way. Let me tell you a little story. I'm going to try to keep it together. We were in the hospital room for Sarah to get a colonoscopy. And they came in the room and they told us that they thought Sarah, that her urine test had come back, that they thought she was pregnant. Now, I want you to, I know like in this moment, we're past that. But in that moment, I was was furious and I was petrified. Two days earlier, I just got told that my wife had stage four cancer and was going to die within two years. Two days later, they've pumped her full of all kinds of radioactive fluid so they can see stuff inside of her body. And now they're going to tell me that they think she's pregnant. Couldn't they have looked before they gave her the shot with radioactive juice in it? I was petrified. I thought, now what? Did we just harm the little baby? And can you be pregnant with colon cancer? And how's that going to work? Are you going to be growing two things? I mean, how, how is this going to I mean, I'm telling I'm sitting beside Sarah, and I start bawling. And I'm holding her hand, and I'm crying. And this nurse comes in. Now we're at Norton Hospital in Louisville and this nurse comes in and right there in front of everybody, she puts her hand on top of Sarah's arm and she said, do you know the ultimate healer? Do you think Norton Hospital wants, do you think Norton Hospital likes to call him the ultimate healer? I don't think they do. As a matter of fact, I would be willing to say some nurse probably got, she probably got chastened later. She probably got got chastised later. What were you doing? Friends, you don't get to say, I got too much going on, my job won't let me, I can't get... No, you don't. As a matter of fact, you have an op- if you have more things going on, you have more opportunity to share the gospel. The more people you know, the more people you talk to, the more chance you have. And if some lady can reach down and touch my wife's arm in a hospital bed and say, do you know the ultimate healer, then you too can do it. Look, here's the servant. He says to the servant who's head over absolutely everything, he says, please put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the, the, by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from, my, uh, from, uh, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. There's one more part of this. I don't understand why all the commentators get this so wrong. It, it makes perfect sense Some people, some people want to say, "I'm I'm going to try to be be polite about this," and they want to say that what he means by putting his hand under his thigh is deep under his thigh. If you know what I'm saying, that is not what Abraham did. Do not be confused. He, when he said, "Put your hand under my thigh," do you understand? Imagine, I want you to imagine somebody sitting, and then you walk up. If you put your hands under their thighs, what have you just done? You are face to face with them. There's no distraction. I was going to like demonstrate on somebody, but that'd be weird. So I'm just going to pass. Like you get what I'm saying, right? Like you, he puts his hand under his thigh and he's now face to face. You can't be like, I was doing your service. I was doing your work. No, no, no. Come here. No distractions. You and me put your hands under my thigh. They are face to face. Do not take a wife for my son from the Canaanites. I want to tell you one last thing and I'll get onto my, that's still on my first point, but I want to tell you one last thing. You don't get to get out of this by saying it's somebody else's responsibility. You don't get to say, you have other servants, you can call them. It's not my responsibility, that's, that's someone else's. No, God wants you. There was an old man in a hospital room and he knocked his cup over and spilled the drink on the floor, a little water on the floor. And so he called for the nurse on the little thing and he said, hey, I spilled some water on the floor. I just thought somebody would want to know so they could get it cleaned up and nobody would slip. She said, okay, and she came in with some paper towels, and she looked at the spill on the floor, and she said, uh, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but the hospital has a policy. I can't get that. If the spill is too big, we have to call for maintenance so that they can make sure to clean it up correctly. It's just a safety insurance thing. The guy said, I don't care. Do whatever. So she called for maintenance, and maintenance came in the room with his mop bucket, and he looked at it and said, oh, that's too small. That's yours. And she said, no, it's too big. I don't want to get blamed for this. I, you, you need to do it. And he said, no, hospital policy is if it's a small spill, it's you. And she said, it's not a small spill, it's a big spill, it's you. And about that time, the old man reached over and took that whole pitcher and dumped it out on the, on the floor and made this huge mess. And goes, is it big enough now? Can somebody get it? <laughs> Will you listen to me? There's plenty of responsibility outside of these walls. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. You don't get to say it's somebody else's responsibility. You're right. It is someone else's responsibility, and it's yours. There's enough lost people just outside of these walls that we can go and share the gospel with somebody. You don't get out of it by saying that's someone else's job. You can't say, I'm a nobody. You can't say, you can't say well, it's, who am I? I'm not a pastor. You don't get to say that. You can't say you're too busy. You don't get to say that. You can't say it's somebody else's. God has called his servant. That's you. That's me to go and find a wife, a bride for the lamb. Now, look, this gets even better. I love this because what he says is this. He says, put your hands under my thigh and I'm going to make you swear by the Lord of the earth, the Lord of heaven, the God of heaven. He says that you won't take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Maybe must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said, be wary that you do not take my son back there. The promise is not a promise to, hey, you will promise to get a wife for my son. The promise is promise me that you won't get a wife for my son from here in Canaan. Now, I have heard a thousand times over, I have heard people say that that's Abraham protecting the Jewish line. Well, that doesn't really make sense if you've read all the way through the book, does it? because there's no Jews yet. As a matter of fact, we don't even have Hebrews yet. At this point, Abraham is starting all of that. So why in the world would Abraham be, it's not like later in the Bible, right? Later in the Bible, we see the Jews being very protective of, you know, they don't want to mix with Canaanites. And I even read one guy who said, well, the Canaanites did a whole lot of wrong stuff to the Israelite people. Not yet. That's Moses, guys. That's Exodus. That's the next book of the Bible. This book of the Bible, Genesis, none of that's happened yet. So why would Abraham be so bent on saying, I want you to go back to the land. Don't get a, don't get a, a wife for my son from here in the, among the Canaanites. You need to go back to my people. Well, then someone said, they said, well, um, that's because the people in Canaan are wicked. They're wicked people. Does anybody remember with me? This is the glory of teaching all the way through. Does anybody remember with me when Abraham was first called? He was 75 years old and, the, and God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And remember what I taught you? What did the people of Ur, what did they do? That group of people in Ur of the Chaldeans, we know what they did. What did they do? Who'd they worship? The moon. They were moon worshippers. Has that changed? It's been 60 some years. That was, Abraham was 75. He had a child when he was 100. We just read read that, and that meant Sarah was 90. Sarah died at 127 in chapter 23. So this is 60 plus years that Abraham has been living away from his people. Did all of a sudden his people back in Ur, are they now God worshipers? Do they have a tabernacle? Do they have a temple? No. Abraham said, I want you to go back to the, can I say it this way? Abraham said, I want you to go back to the moon worshipers and I want you to go get somebody from there. And bring them here. Do you get this actual picture? What Abraham just said is, I want you to go get somebody that's not in the promised land and I want you to bring them to the promised land. I'm gonna give you my second point. My first one was this you don't get out of it. Everybody is is supposed to serve, everybody is supposed to find a bride. That is you and me included. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you were to find a bride for the Son. You don't get out of it. My second one is this it doesn't happen inside of these walls. Well, everybody listen to me. This is what happens. Now you hear me because I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. I've dealt with it firsthand. Here's what we Christians do. We get real focused on what happens in here. Was the music the way that I liked it? Do the people dress the way that I think they should dress? I'm telling you, you don't want to know how far it goes. And I'm telling you, I've dealt with this one personally. Somebody gets all bent out of shape because somebody wants to paint a wall a different color. You think I'm kidding? I could tell you stories. And what happens is we start focusing what's happening in here, what's happening in here, what's happening inside of church. Did they open the windows in service this morning? Who did that? Did somebody approve that? Did they have a committee? You think I'm kidding? Somebody changed out the light fixtures. Did they make a committee? Did, who asked for that? Who approved that? And we get real focused on what happens inside of church. Will you listen to me? Ministry does not happen because you were here. I want everybody to hear this. Getting to be here is a privilege. This is worship, not ministry. When you came here and sat down today, when we were singing and clapping, that's a benefit to you. You just got to worship the Lord God corporately with all these other believers. That's a benefit. Ministry happens when we leave the walls. Abraham said, I don't want you to get a a wife for my son from here inside of Canaan, I want you to go get somebody that's not in Canaan and I want you to bring him here. bring him to the promised land to go find a wife for my for, find a bride for my son outside of Canaan. Last year, let me back up even further and say that I in my shyness I was also and still am, I'm a homebody. I just loved I tried two years ago I tried to do a staycation. I won't do that again just because I got a big honeydew list, but it's not because I didn't want to go I don't really like going places. I just wanted to be home, and so I was trying to stay home, and I, I always just want to stay home. I'm good with that. I don't, I don't really want to go places. I don't want to do things. Don't take that as a personal stab. If you've invited me to something, I don't mean that. I just mean I'm a homebody. That's just my personality. My wife is not. She loves to explore. When we were dating, we would be driving somewhere, and she got her license before I did, and we'd be going somewhere, and she would turn down a road. I'd be like, where are you going? She's like, I want to see where this road goes. Who does that? Like, I, wanna, I don't want to see where it goes. I, I know there's a road there. That's good. I'm good with that. I got a GPS for a reason. And she just turned down a road. She loved that. And she had always, when, when we, in case you don't know, this building, this structure used to be Ballardsville Baptist Church. And my wife and I were in the youth at Ballardsville Baptist Church when we were teenagers in this building. And they used to go to Honduras every year. And they'd come back and they would show these videos of Honduras. And my wife, since she was a teenager, when we were dating, she wanted to go to Honduras. Well, fast forward, we got married and started a church and we were youth ministers for a while and then we started a church and then we were here back in this building. Can you imagine? And then while in this building, the first year we were back in this building and she gets an invite from somebody that's at Ballardsville, which is down the street now. She gets an invite from somebody at Ballardsville that says, would you guys want to consider coming to Honduras with us? And Sarah is elated and she comes home. She's like, Jen invited us to go to Honduras. And I'm like, "Uh, I can't. That's true. That's what I did. I, went, I came up with every reason why I couldn't. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I mean, who's going to... At the time, I was teaching Sunday school. I was teaching Wednesday night. I was teaching on Sunday morning. I'm playing in the band. I'm doing the bulletins. Now, thankfully, the Lord's been blessing us. and We've got people doing all these things now. But back then, I didn't. And I said, Sarah, who's going to do the bulletins? Who's going to do this? Who's gonna? And Sarah said, well, I don't know, but I'm going to go to the meeting. They're going to have a meeting, and I'm going to go to the meeting. And I'm telling you, I skipped the meeting. I had stuff to do. I don't know what. I probably did. I always have stuff to do. I mean, I can find something if I need it. I didn't go. Sarah came home with tears in her eyes. I mean, she's bawling, sobbing when she comes in. And she goes, I'm going to Honduras. And I said, you're going to go? And she said, I'm going whether you go or not, but I want you to go with me. <laughs> do you like my voice for Sarah? <laughs> That's her new voice. When she was younger, it was a little higher pitch. Now it's gotten deeper. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. <laughs> She did tell me that though. She said, I'm going. You can go. You can come with me or not, but I'm going. And I did it again. I said, Sarah, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? I came up with all these excuses. And you know what she said? She said, You're the one who taught me that ministry happens outside of the church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. But it's a true statement. We don't do ministry in here, we worship in here, we learn in here, we teach in here. Ministry happens, and you're the servant who's supposed to minister. That happens out there. That's in your regular life. That's what happens outside of church. I got one more. I don't know if I'm late or not, but I don't want to look because if I look, I'll rush. Look, look with me. One more, I promise. Look at this last part. So I'm in verse 6. Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I give this land he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Verse 8. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Wow. Wow. Why make, why make such a promise? Do you get this, what I'm saying? Like, why do this? Abraham says, come here, put your hands under my thighs, nose to nose, you promise me, you will not take a wife for my son from here, you'll go back. You'll go back to my land and you'll get a wife for my son from there. And the servant says something, he's not questioning because he doesn't wanna go, he's just, it's a legitimate question. Even in that time, you want me to go to a land that's pretty distant, and convince a young woman, I'm not convincing a young woman to marry me. You want me to convince a young woman to marry your son who she's never met and he's never met. What if she says no? What if she refuses? Should I take your son back there? And Abraham says, promise me no, you will not do that. No matter what, you will not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who called me out, he's gonna lead you. He'll send his angel before you and he'll lead you to the wife for my son. But if she says no, I release you from the promise. If she says no, you get released? Why why did we need this big old promise to begin with? I want you to catch this last one. You ready? Because Abraham was not saying to, to his servant, I want you to promise that you will find a wife for my son. That's not what he said. He said, I want you to promise that you won't find a wife for him here in Canaan, but you'll go back. The promise is not, I guarantee you, can you imagine? I guarantee you, Abraham, I will find a wife for your son. He didn't say that. What he's saying is, I promise that I won't take her from here in Canaan. I will leave Canaan and find a wife from somewhere else, from Ur the Chaldeans, from your family, and and I will try. That's what God wants from you, his servant. You ready for this last part? God is not asking you. He's not looking at you and saying, well, you're not saved if you don't lead anybody to the Lord. tiss, shame on you. You didn't, you didn't lead anybody. That's not what he's saying. You ready? This part's going to hurt a little bit. What he's asking is that you would try. And what many Christians are lacking is to even try. We just don't even try to begin with. When I was at Arby's, I was 18 years old. I was the manager of Arby's, and I just had something to prove to the world. It didn't matter who, whatever. I was, I was always trying to prove myself. And so I would have these little team meetings, and I had read in the little manual that you're supposed to encourage the team to upsell. You ever had somebody upsell you in the drive-thru? You know, that's like, you want to make that large? You want to biggie-size that? That was what I'm trying to get them to do. Well, I have this little team meeting. I said, guys, we're supposed to be upselling things. I want you to try to upsell today when you're working the drive-thru, working on the counter. And then the whole day, everybody was... St- and I'm not going to get on them in front of customers. And the whole day, all the people on the counter and all the people in the drive-thru, they go, is that all? Do you want anything else? And I'm behind them going... You're not supposed to say, is that all? You're supposed to ask them something. And so I knew that. I had another team meeting the following week. I said, guys, you have to be specific. Ask them, do you want a cup of cheese with your fries? Because who doesn't love cheese with curly fries? Like, do you want to uh, make it a large? Do you want a cherry turnover? Like, give them something to say yes or no to. So we go through lunch that day, and guess what happens? Is that all? Would you like anything else? Nobody would ask. I was mad, but I thought, I can't keep having these stupid meetings. They're not going to do it i got to come up with a better way. So I went over to Starbucks and I bought a Starbucks gift card. I took petty cash. I didn't have a lot of money. I was at Arby's. But I took the petty cash from (laughs) from, from the safe and I went and I bought me, I think it was like a $50 gift card to Starbucks. And I came back that next week to my team meeting and I stuck it to the board. And I said, the first person who sells 10 cups of cheese can have that gift card. On a normal day, through lunch hour at Arby's here in LaGrange, we would sell about four or five cups of cheese throughout a day, throughout a, a lunch hour. I put that gift card up and I said, I'm just asking you to say at the, the, at the end of their order, if they've got some fries, say, hey, would you like some cheese with your fries? That one day we sold 89 cups of cheese. <laughs> and I'm looking at you and saying to you who are believers, the Lord is not telling you that it's your job to save somebody. He's just saying it's your job to try. Just tell them. If it's foolish for me to be scared of, a, of picking up a phone when I'm 16 years old, how foolish is it of us who know the God of heaven to be scared to tell somebody that? You don't get out of it. It's for all of us. He doesn't want it just in here. This isn't ministry. This is a, this is a blessing. He wants you to go out there, and he just wants you to try. Would you be willing to do that? And here's what I want to close with today. I don't know everybody in the building. I don't know everybody watching. Goodness gracious. The last week I saw how many people watched. It was a crazy amount of people who watched the, the sermon from last week. So I don't know who's watching or who's here. But, but just hear this last part. If you don't know and nobody's told you, let me help you with this. In the, in the coming weeks for you believers, we're going to talk about how to share the gospel, what that actually means, how to prepare for that, and how to share the gospel and how to follow up with it. That's all going to be here on Sunday mornings. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, can I just tell you real quick, it's this easy. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the perfect lamb who came to this earth and he never sinned once and he died for you. And they stuck him in a tomb and death couldn't hold him. Three days later, Jesus got himself up and he walked out of that tomb. And he is alive today and he wants to be in a relationship with you. And all he asks from you is that you would believe in him. If you'll believe that he's the son of God who died for your sins and he rose for you and you put your faith in him. You say, Justin, that's crazy. That's right. I don't have time to read it. I know I'm, I'm out of time. But that's what Paul said. Paul said that it pleased the Lord to use the foolishness of the gospel. To men, to the wise is foolishness. That's right. It seems ridiculous to, from our human side to think that all I got to do is believe in Jesus who died and rose for me and he'll save me. That's what he wants. He doesn't want it to be of your works. Then you'd boast about it. He wants it all to be his own glory. Would you be willing to put your faith in him today and to be saved? How about we all stand up on our feet? We're going to close in a prayer, and we'll have a song. And if you want to make a public decision, you can do it during the song. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you for your, uh, for your word today. We want to say thank you that you have blessed us. And Father, we want to say thank you that you've spoken to us. And would you just take this time of invitation now, Lord, and do with it whatever your will is. We trust you as our Heavenly Father. We trust you because you're good. Thank you for who you are. May your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you made it all the way through the sermon. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Don't forget you can find all of our sermons at SaltonlightBaptist.com slash media. You can join us live on Sunday morning on Facebook or at SaltonlightBaptist.com slash live. We'll see you next week.